thank you so much for joining us tonight. Whether you're here in the room with us or you're watching online, it's a pleasure to have you here at the first SquadCon in person in years, in literal years, and I'm honored to be able to be a part of it. I'm excited with y'all. If you don't know me, if I haven't got to meet you yet, let me introduce myself. Hi, my name is Pastor Deustin, is probably how you know me, uh, Pastor Deustin online. And uh, I've been a friend of God Squad Church for years and years. Ever since I got into this thing, uh, I've been in uh, ministry at my local church in Tyler, Texas for the past 15 years. And I've been streaming online trying to share the love of God with the gaming world for the past four and a half years, which blows my mind. That is bizarre to think about. Um, but to be able to be in the room meeting people that I've only ever seen online is such a cool experience. It's such a cool experience. In fact, I was uh, at the hotel about to walk over here. I, I kid you not, he's in the room. He can corroborate my whole testimony. I'm coming down the elevator, open the door, and I see a purple Twitch shirt, and there's Matt Souza right there. And I was like, Susie, <laughs> what's up? And he was holding a plate of something. He was like, Deustin, what? And it was just so cool to be able to actually see and connect. And let me tell you, whenever we, we like talk and interact online, there's a certain level of connection. But whenever you see people in person, it's just a whole other thing. Because I can tell you, you learn a lot about something based on their choice in pizza toppings. And we ate some pizza before, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the people in the room. <laughs> some people, hey, just scared of mushrooms. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to throw that out there. I ain't going to hurt you. I ain't going to hurt you. All right. Well, I am, as I said, honored to be with you today. And I'm also uh, honored to have met many of you. And also, I have a couple special guests with me. My own family drove in to be with us today. So thank you all for uh, making the trip out here. Not too far. I'm at, originally from Texas. So while everyone who came from all over the world, I know like Merrick's coming all the way from the Netherlands and all this stuff, people from all over the place. And you walk into Texas heat. Like, how do y'all live here? This is miserable. I said, hey, I'm just, I'm like Bane. I was molded by it. I grew in it. I was formed by the heat. Uh, so I, I'm used to it. But uh, it is awesome to have y'all here with us today. Um, this more or this evening, rather, uh, I'm honored to be sharing a word with you that I believe the Lord put on my heart for us today. And I was, I was jokingly saying that this is the first time, I think, in 15 years of pastoral ministry that I've ever been able to title a message after a video game theme. And that's just, oh, that, that just hit me down deep. That was such a good feeling. Uh, the title of my message this evening is, It's Dangerous to Go Alone, Take This. How many of y'all get that reference? Every gamer in the room should get that one. Hey, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. My dad over there, he's as confused as he's ever been. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. You know that. That's from The Legend of Zelda. Uh, it's the, at the very beginning of the first game. You just show up. You're this little green blob. You don't know what's going on, but you see a little black square up in the corner. You're like, hey, there's a cave. Let me go in there. You go in, and there's an old man who gives you a sword, and you go on your adventure. But that's what he says to you. He says, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. How many of y'all know the world that we live in can be a dangerous place? Amen? Amen? But how many of you also know we don't have to be afraid? Jesus told us, he said, hey, in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And I want to share a scripture from my favorite book in the entire Bible. It's from the book of James. In James chapter 1, in verses 2 through 4, it says, count it all joy. Everyone say joy. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have access to you through your word, that we understand who you are, your whole plan in all of this. We can see it in the words of scripture. God, we know that you have uh, inspired your word, but Lord, would you illuminate it tonight? Would you ignite it within us tonight? Would we hear your voice as we read your word? Lord, I pray that we would have an encounter with you tonight, whether we're in this room or we're watching online. God, I pray that we would hear your voice in a new, real, distinct way and that we would leave changed. God, I pray that you would help me to get out of the way so that you can say what you want to say to our hearts tonight. God, we, I don't just want to make room for you. God, we give you the room and say, Lord, do what you want to do. This is all about you, and we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen, amen. amen. There are people in this room who have dreams. We all have dreams. We have different aspirations, different things that we're working on, things that we believe that God has promised us, uh, things that we maybe haven't seen come to pass yet in our life. But we know that God has said it. We trust him, and he is the same. He is faithful. So we're holding on to those promises. But a lot of times, the longer you live, you'll learn that God's plan doesn't always go from like A to B. It's not always like this linear path. You go in this like zigzag like path and you end up in ditches over here and you end up in the pit over here and you end up in all these situations that you didn't sign up for. And a lot of times we think, but God promised this. God promised me this, so why am I here? But see, just because God promised something doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. But it doesn't change that God promised it. We have to go through pit stops in the cave sometimes. Tonight I'm going to talk to you about, uh, about some cave moments. We can see cave moments all throughout the Bible. Uh, there's Joseph. Obviously we know his story about thrown, being thrown into the pit, being thrown into the prison. Daniel's thrown into a literal pit full of lions. Uh, David was hiding in caves all the time, like when uh, Absalom's after him and when his enemies are after him and with Saul and all these people, he finds himself in caves over and over. Jonah, for crying out loud, he ends up in the belly of a great fish. That's about as much of a cave as you can get. You may have gone through caves in your life. In fact, you may be in a cave today. You may be in a cave situation where you say, okay, God, I believe that you've called me to do this. I'm working on this or whatever, but why am I here? Why am I in this moment? Even my own experiences, I've gone through plenty of them. I could share many about over 15 years of pastoral ministry. There's, there's so many like unmet expectations where you think, okay, God's called me to preach. I'm going to be anointed. It's going to be great. I'm going to show up with this message. The whole place is going to be packed out. We're going to have 10,000 people at my church. It's going to be whatever. And then you show up and where is everybody? You know, and like, what, what happened? I thought that it was going to be this, but I ended up here. And there's this expectation gap and that's our disappointment. And we find ourselves in a cave moment, even with like streaming. I know there's a lot of us here who we're in that world. We either play games or we create content, we do streaming and that kind of thing. And you might work so hard on everything. You've got like what you want to say. You've got your, your clips, your, everything's edited. You're ready to go. You've got a plan for that, that stream. And then you show up and you turn it on. You look, how many people are watching right now? One, and it's my phone with my alt account over on the desk right there. What is going on? Where is everybody? I worked so hard. Why is this happening? 
David even wrote about it in Psalm 142. He wrote in, in like verses three and four, he's saying basically, man, I look around and no one's there. No one cares. No one cares how I feel. That's how David felt in the cave. The key thing I wanna share with you tonight is that God hides us in caves to prepare us for crowns. God hides us in caves to prepare us for crowns. That's a good word. I hope that's gonna be helpful to someone tonight. We're gonna break that down and look at a few cave moments. But God hides us in caves to prepare us for crowns. The first one that I wanna look at with you tonight, I already mentioned him briefly, but it's Joseph. Joseph has such a cool story in the Bible. It takes up a big chunk of the end of uh, the book of Genesis, and we can see different pits and cave moments that Joseph found himself in. Uh, the basic story, I won't go into all of it. We don't have time to break down his entire story. But essentially, God gives Joseph a dream. And he goes and he tells his brothers, who already aren't a big fan of him, because Jacob, their father, decided that Joseph was his favorite because he was the child of his old age and all this. He gives him a robe of many colors. And one day he has this dream that all these different sheaves were bowing down to his sheave. And he goes and he tells his brothers, and they're like, why are you telling us this? I thought you wanted us to like you. That's not getting on our good side. And then he has another dream and says, well, I had this dream that the sun and moon and 11 stars were all bowing down to me. And even Jacob's like, what, you intend your mother and I to bow down and worship you? What, what, is, what is wrong with you? His brother said, all right, we've had enough of this. We're going to get rid of this dreamer. And uh, they decide to throw him into a pit. They throw him into a pit. In Genesis 37, verse 24, it says that they threw him into the into this pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they end up selling him into slavery in Egypt, and he goes through all this stuff with Potiphar's wife, ends up in prison, a bad situation from start to end. But if you look at it from Joseph's perspective, he's got to be thinking, why am I here? God has promised me this. He's promised to elevate me. He's promised me to put me over my brothers, even my parents, why am I in prison? I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I in this pit? Why are they claiming that these animals killed me and whatever? Why am I going through this? But I want to tell you something. God uses caves to protect us. God uses caves to protect us. Now, you might be hearing that and say, okay, in this story, Joseph doesn't sound protected. <laughs> this doesn't sound like a good thing. He's in prison for all these years. He gets forgotten in the prison. He's thrown in the pit. Nothing about this sounds good. Where is the protection? But we got to remember that we see everything through this little bitty scope, this, this very small lens, whereas God has a perfect plan and purpose in all things. He's working all things together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That's in Romans 8. But in the moment, it looks like an end to the dream but it was a necessary step. So you say, okay, it protects us. What could he have been protected from? Well, I think one of the biggest things was time. Was time. Joseph was protected from time. Because he was called to leadership. He was called to be over this. He was called to be used in a mighty way by God. But it was not the right time. 
it was not the right time. He was still a young man. He still had to go through a lot of stuff. He had to mature. He had to grow. He had to go through that James 1, 2 through 4 trials and testing of his faith to produce steadfastness, to train him, to equip him to be the man that God was calling him to be. He wasn't ready for it. But not just him. His brothers weren't ready for it. They have a whole part to play in this story. They go through this whole story arc of repentance and their hearts breaking. And whenever Joseph finally reveals himself to them in Genesis 45, Joseph even tells him, he says, you know what? You didn't send me here. God sent me here. God was working through all of it. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. He had a plan and a purpose in all of it. The timing wasn't right. He just wasn't ready. I think if we think over our own lives, there's a lot of things that we have probably prayed for that we're grateful God didn't answer. I can think back over job stuff. I can think over stuff with my own tennis. I can think about relationships. I can think about ministry stuff. I can think about all these situations where I prayed for something and that prayer did not go answered. As the uh, great theologian Garth Brooks once said, well, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And I think that's, that's very true. Unanswered prayers are often a gift from God. See, God is protecting us while he prepares us. He was preparing Joseph in the cave for what he was calling him to. So let me ask you, what are some things that you are praying about that God might be still preparing you for? What are some things you are praying about that God might still be preparing you for? It's interesting how as I was just writing and praying and reading and, and developing this message and everything to share with y'all, how what we're talking about tonight aligns perfectly with the vision of God Squad Church. Now, it's not in the exact order, but the points are all here. One of the main things that God Squad Church is focused on is helping you to make a difference, to make a difference. See, Joseph, he had to be prepared so that he could make a difference. He got into... Um, into a, a leadership position in Egypt so that he could save so many lives. That's what he told his brothers. He said, God put me here to preserve life. But if he wasn't prepared, he wouldn't have been able to fulfill the calling of God on his life. He had to go through the cave so that he could make that difference. See, God uses caves to protect us, but not only that, God uses caves to connect us. To connect us. The second cave I want to look at with you is the cave, one of the caves that Elijah found himself in, in 1 Kings chapter 19. This is right after my favorite story in all the Bible, in 1 Kings 18. We know the story of Elijah on the uh, uh, Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, and they call down fire, and all this awesome stuff happens. But right after that, Jezebel finds out about it, and she says, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to do to you what you did to those prophets of Baal. You're going to be dead in 24 hours. And Elijah, this great man of God who just did this incredible work, runs off scared. And he cries out to God and he says, God, just, just kill me. I'm done. I've done my part. I did what you called me to do. And look around. No one in Israel even cares. No one follows you. Why have I just, I've wasted my life. Just, I did what you told me to do. I'm done. And he was at the end of his rope. He was at the end of his rope. In 1 Kings 19, I want you to uh, follow along with the story. I'll read it to you here. And um, there's something in this story that we, we rarely ever focus on. But picking up at verse 9, it says, Then he, he's talking about Elijah, then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. 
For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, or that still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And they have the exact same conversation again. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, I want you to focus on what God says to him, because a lot of times whenever we read this passage, we focus on the whole fire, earthquake, wind, and the still small voice, and it's, that's powerful. I love that too. But look at what he's saying to him. In that still, small voice, he gives him so much. He gives him purpose. He gives him, well, just listen. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. See, in that still small voice, God gave Elijah a reminder of his purpose and what God still had for him. There's something so cool in this that I love. Because remember, right before this, Elijah feels alone. He feels like I'm the only one left. And God says, no, 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 no. There's 7,000 others that I've reserved for myself that have not bowed the knee to Baal. You are not alone. But more than that, it's nice to know that I'm not the only one, that there are other people around me, but also he gives him Elisha. He gives him the next prophet who he's going to pour into, who Elisha, we know all his stories, and he has this double portion of the anointing on Elijah and all this really cool stuff, but he gave him someone to pour his life into. A lot of times we get our eyes so focused on ourselves, on the situation I'm going through. I'm in the cave. I don't see a way out. I'm all alone. No one understands. And that's the way we talk to ourselves, to God. That's how we focus on it because our eyes are focused on ourselves. But you know what the cave really reveals in life? It reveals who's really on our side, who's really with us. Whenever you think about the lowest points in life, whenever everything falls apart. When you look around, you'll realize who your real friends are, who the people who are really on your side, who really have your back. And what's funny is a lot of times it's not the people you think. A lot of times it's the people that you had no idea they even cared or they were that close or whatever. But whenever you go into the cave, they show up and they're praying with you, they're crying with you, they're helping, they're showing up to try and help you through that situation where the people that you thought had your back, they're gone, they're out. They're not helping, they're, they're, they're so gone. As a, a pastor for the last 15 years, I've gone through different seasons and whatever, but one of the hardest times in anyone in really any area of life, because it's something that we all went through, but I can speak at it from, it, uh, from a pastoral perspective, how it affected the church is COVID. 
whenever we went through COVID um, at my church, it was, it was such a hard thing to deal with because people that you thought were, I mean, just ride or die, they're, they're not going anywhere. They're gone, haven't seen them since. But people that you thought, eh, they're just kind of whatever, they show up every now and then. No, they really dug in and they started helping. They started serving. They started, uh, you know, getting more involved. And it's in those cave moments where we really experience the people that are on our side. Experiencing community is such a big thing. That's one of those key points of, of God Squad Church is experiencing community. And whenever you're in the cave, that community shows up. You have people all around you right here. You have friends, you have family, but you have your church people who are there with you, who you can connect with at all hours of the night. That's something really cool, specifically about like God Squad churches. You've got like this whole Discord community. You've got unlimited access to people 24-7, where if I want to reach out to someone in my church, I would go bang on their door. They're going to kick me in the face. You know, they're not going to be very happy if I show up at 3 a.m. But you could send a Discord DM and reach out to somebody. Hey, can you pray with me? I'm going through this or whatever. There's really cool ways to be able to connect. But whenever we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto others, it lifts our countenance. That's what happened to Elijah. Because right after that, he goes out and he starts fulfilling the stuff that God has told him to do. He goes and does all this stuff. He walks with Elisha, pours into him. It's an incredible thing. So God uses caves to protect us, often from ourselves, from our own unanswered prayers, from bad timing. Um, so that he can prepare us, but he also uses those caves to connect us, to bring people into our life that we need for that season. But another one is that God uses caves to inspect us. God uses caves to inspect us. In 1 Samuel 24, there's um, a really <laughs> interesting, funny kind of story about David. David had already gone through so much at this point. He's already killed Goliath. People are singing his praises. Saul's killed thousands. David, tens of thousands. And everyone loves David, and Saul's getting a little jealous. And Saul has been chasing David to kill him for a while now. A couple uh, chapters before this, in fact, he had a connection moment at the cave of Abdullam where uh, his family shows up. He's hiding from Saul. His family shows up. Also, the 400 that become David's mighty men, they all show up with him at that cave, and then they're with him the rest of the time. But here in chapter 24, this is whenever Saul, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. I'll just read, to, read it to you. If you ever say, oh, the Bible's boring. No, the Bible's not boring. You're boring. Read this thing. Look at this. 1 Samuel 24, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men, 3,000, 3,000, 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. That's nice, pretty poetic language for he had to go use the restroom. So Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men, remember he's got like his friends, family, whatever, but he's got his 400 mighty men. So 400 verse 3,000. David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed." So, 
Saul goes in to relieve himself. David's in the back. They see Saul come in and all of his guys, they're all like, this is that day that God said he was gonna give your enemies into your hand. Go take care of him. Go get him. He's been trying to kill you. This is your chance. And David goes up and he's like already dealing with it in his heart because you can see it there in verse five. He goes up and he cuts off a corner of the robe and he even feels guilty about that. His heart is struck over that. His conscience won't leave him alone just about cutting that off. He could have taken Saul out. That could have been the end of all that. But you know what? God often tests our faith in the cave. It's a question of integrity. See, whenever things get hard, whenever we're in the cave moments of life, it's tempting to take the easy way out. But are we going to do things the easy way or are we going to do things God's way? God was using that moment to inspect David's heart. Now, we know from Scripture that he is a man after God's own heart. But in this moment, his decision revealed his devotion. Was his heart really in line with God? Because, he, man, he could have just taken him out right then, and then who's going to stop him? He could rise to power, become the king, whatever. But it kind of goes back to Joseph. Was he ready? That was like a final testing moment to say, is David really ready? He was inspecting David's heart. See, God used the cave. To, God uses the caves to protect us. He uses the caves to connect us, but he also uses those cave moments to inspect us, to see what's on the inside. At God Squad Church, another one of those, those points is discovering our purpose. The things that we feel that God has called us to, David knew what he was called to. He was anointed to be the king way before any of this, even before Goliath. He was, he was anointed twice, actually, if you read through all of it. He was anointed twice to be the king, and he knew that that was his calling. He knew that that's what God was calling him to do, but he wanted to do it in God's time. He wanted to do it God's way. So here's like the biggest thing. It's not that David was perfect. None of these men were perfect, but they were surrendered. They were surrendered to God's will, and they said, not my will, yours be done, kind of in the words of Jesus. That's where we have to find ourselves. because like I said, we may be in caves ourselves tonight. We may be going through things, but it's easy in those cave moments to take the, the easy way instead of God's way. These three men, they all stepped out of those caves, and they stepped into their calling, Remember tonight, I'm trying to share with you that God hides us in caves to prepare us for crowns. Each of those three men, Joseph, Elijah, and David, they all go on to receive their crown. Joseph, he's second in command over all of Egypt, but he had to be prepared in the cave, in the pit, and in the prison. Elijah, not long after this, he goes and does the things that God's told him to do. He pours into Elisha. Elisha has this incredible ministry after that. But not too long after this, he is taken up into glory in that wheel, uh, uh, chariots of fire kind of thing. Really, really cool situation and story, and we don't have time to get into that. But he received his eternal crown that day. And then David, we know, goes on to become the king and is a wonderful king and does all this awesome stuff. But he was never a perfect man. He was just surrendered to God. Now, those are three men but let me tell you about a fourth cave. A fourth cave that happened about 2,000 years ago. After all of these events that we've talked about today, there was another cave where a man named Jesus was laid. 
Jesus, the Word made flesh, came and dwelt among us, taught us, loved us, poured into us, fed us, loved us, cared for us, healed the sick, all those things. But the most important thing that he did is he went to the cross and he bore our sin in his body on the cross. Every sin that you or I have ever done, he took on himself. He himself never sinning, being God in the flesh. And he comes to be born as a man, fully God, fully man, and dies in our place. The Bible says that he became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That sentence alone, every time I think about it, just blows my mind, just melts me to think that Jesus became sin, who knew no sin. So where like I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, where I feel my heart break because I'm breaking the heart of God to think, what did Jesus feel on the cross? A lot of times we just focus on the, the physical side, which is excruciating. That's where we get the word for crucifixion, excruciating. But the emotional, the spiritual weight that he bore that day, we'll never fully understand. But after he laid down his life on the cross, paying for our sin, they took his body off the cross and he, he poured out every drop of blood. It says till blood and water flowed. He poured out all of his blood out of love for you and me so that we could be forgiven of our sins. They take him down off the cross and they put him in a cave, in a borrowed tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. And they laid his body in that cave for three days. But on the third day, his body wasn't there anymore. He rose from the grave and is alive today, is alive forevermore. He has defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he is coming back one day. And today, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, it says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. So I know there's people here and there's people watching online, and I don't know where you're at. I, like, I don't know your relationship with God. I don't know your spiritual condition. You may be going through caves in life, but if you're in a spiritual cave of sin, if you're still lost in your sin, there is freedom today. There is hope today and it is found in Christ. And all we have to do is we repent. We turn away from our sin and we put our faith in Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I love that story that Jesus told of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I'll, this is the last story I'll tell. The Pharisee gets up and prays this big prayer. He says, God, thank you that I'm not like other men, sinners and whatever, blah, blah, or this tax collector over here. But he prayed so that people would hear him and how great he was. But the tax collector says he didn't even look up to heaven. He just, with his head down on his chest, just says, God, have mercy on me for I'm a sinner. Jesus said that God heard the tax collector, not the Pharisee. See, all we have to do is we recognize our sinfulness. Say, Lord, yeah, I've blown it. <laughs> I need you. Have mercy on me. Forgive me. You know what? He loves you so much that he already paid the price for your sin. And he says, come on, come on. And he will forgive us and make us new. He says, if we forgive our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But it doesn't just stop there. It says, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's so cool. 
That's so cool. The last, or I should say the first point of God Squad's vision is knowing God. And you can know God today. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Tonight, you might know about God. You might know a lot about God. But that doesn't mean that you know God. But tonight, that can change. Tonight, that can change. We're going to pray. We're going to pray over a couple of things. So go ahead. You can bow your heads, close your eyes. And we're going to pray first off over that gospel message. If there are people here in this room or watching online, and you would say, you know what, Pastor Deuston, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I get it. I know about God. I, I've, I know the stories and whatever, but I've never really been born again, if I, if I think about it. Where in John 3, that's what Jesus said. He said, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. We have to be born again. And if you say, you know, I don't think I've ever really had that experience, then that can happen today. That can happen right now. That's something I can't do for you. I can't save you. You can't save you. But God is right there and says, I want to, <laughs> I'll save you. If you will repent and believe the gospel, he will save us and make us new. Just like that just like that. It's the simplest thing, but the biggest thing all at the same time. And then the second thing we're going to pray over, and while we're still with our, bow, our head bowed, our eyes closed, we're just focusing on God. The second thing is people who are in the cave tonight. I want to pray that we would have a perspective shift about the cave that our eyes would go off of ourselves and we would stop looking at, at every bad circumstance around us. And instead we would say, Lord, what are you doing in my life? What are you using this cave moment to prepare me for? That's the prayer. That's the prayer. So let me pray over you. And I would encourage you, whether you're right here or you're watching online, I would encourage you right now to take this seriously and connect with God. This is the most important thing you will ever do. A million years from now, none of this is going to matter. The, the time that we have and fun and playing games and whatever, that's all great. It, it's cool. It's fun. We're making memories. But in a million years, the only thing that's going to matter is whether or not we are in Christ. So I'd encourage you to know God tonight because he is right there. Father, we love you. We praise you. And God, I pray over each person under the sound of my voice, whether they're physically in this room or they're watching online, God, you know where they're at. You know the spiritual condition of every heart better than we even know. We could deceive ourselves, but God, you know truly where we're at. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's hearing these words and they're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that they would turn from sin and put their faith in you tonight. That they would not leave this moment the same way they came to it. But that they would have an encounter with God. They would be truly born again, truly made new, and set on fire for you, God, all the days of their life. In fact, I'll just do it this way. Since so many people are watching online right now, 
If that's you, I'd encourage you to repeat a prayer after me. There's nothing magic about it. It's not a magic prayer or these words are going to do something. I'm just trying to lead you in a moment to connect with God. Say, dear Lord, forgive me of my sin. I realize that I need you. I understand that I can't do this on my own and I don't want to pretend to try. Have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died and rose again on the third day, and that you are alive today and coming back one day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And if you just prayed that, again, not magic words, but if you just connected with God and truly meant what we were just saying, the Bible says that you are saved, you are made new, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. That's what just happened in you. And the Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing. So we rejoice with you if you've put your faith in Christ today. But I want to pray over you one more time. This will be the last prayer I pray tonight for people who are going through the cave. God, I pray over each person here and each person under the sound of my voice, Lord, people who are struggling today, people who are going through those cave moments who are experiencing hardship in life, whether that's sickness, whether that's the loss of a loved one, whether that's unmet expectations, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would help them to see it in a new light, that they would have a shift in their perspective. It doesn't mean that it's going to be fun. It doesn't mean we just smile whenever we go through those difficult times, but we understand that it's all for a reason. Like we read at the very beginning in the book of James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance or patience and let that have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God, I pray for strength as they walk through the cave. I pray for encouragement as they face the darkest corners of that cave. But like the psalmist writes in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You are with me. God, help us to take our eyes off of self, put our eyes on you, and follow you as you lead us into the cave, through the cave, and out of the cave onto our calling, into the crown that you have prepared for us. God, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. Amen. It's interesting that every one of those cave moments they came out of those caves because of their surrender. And I don't know about 
for you, but for me, I think that that's the beauty of those moments. It's learning how to resurrender to God. And Pastor Deustin put it so beautifully through the lives of some great biblical heroes. And they realized that it wasn't in their strength, but it was in God's strength. It was when they learned to surrender to his still small voice, when they decided to surrender their calling, when he decided to surrender his life. That was the beauty of those moments. And I pray that you get that tonight, that it's a surrendering. The Christian walk is a, is a walk of surrendering. And God has something amazing for you. Every single one of those men of God went to do great things, but they had to learn. And I believe every single man and woman here has the ability to go on to do great things if you can learn to surrender. I'm not going to pray for you again. I just want you to know that. I think the Lord's speaking to you in this moment about that. And I just pray that they would go with you. Uh, I'm humbled to be here in this place in Texas and be able to see so many names that I see online. Um, it's beautiful to see you and meet you and hug you. Uh, it's beautiful to be able to still connect with you digitally. And if you want to make a, a step forward in that idea of becoming more involved in this community, you can do that by hitting exclamation point connect in our chat. That'll allow you to kind of connect with us, get to know us a little bit more, and us to get to know you. Um, you know, if you hit an exclamation discord and you want to get to know the amazing people in this room or maybe someone that might become your lifelong friend, you can still do that right now in this moment. And I find that so beautiful. So if you're not plugged into those places, if you've never, if you've never made that choice or that, 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 that step that sometimes feels difficult, um, whether you're facing crippling anxiety or just unsurety, I pray that you'd make that step tonight and that we would connect. And um, yeah, God has some big plans for your life. I believe that for every single one of you. So if no one's told you they love you today, I love you guys.